0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Monday, October 28, 2019. On this day in 1919, the United States Senate overturned President Woodrow Wilson's veto of the Volstead Act. In doing so, they ensured nationwide prohibition became the law of the land. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're discussing the ratification of the Volstead Act, better known as the National Prohibition Act. This piece of legislation allowed the federal government to more effectively enforce the national prohibition on alcohol established by the 18th Amendment. Before we unpack the ramifications of the Volstead Act, let's go back to Washington, D.C. on October 28, 1919. Patrick Mallory looked depressingly at the dusty interior of the pub he'd owned and operated for the last 40 years. It had been his father's place originally, opened to meet demand after the last time politicians banned alcohol in the 1830s. It had been in Patrick's family for nearly 90 years. Now, he didn't know what he was going to do. He could hear the wind shift as he stepped outside into the street. He looked around, thinking about how he hardly recognized the city anymore. What was to be done? If the veto was overturned, which seemed a given at this point, he'd have to close up his pub. The 18th Amendment had passed the previous January and stipulated that nationwide prohibition went into effect in January of 1920. In that interim, bars and pubs like Patrick's had been hard-pressed to meet the demands of wealthy drinkers. They bought out entire crates of booze in preparation for America's new, dry chapter, Patrick, to his shame, had sold a cask or two of wine to such enterprising individuals, though he'd made a point not to think about whom he was selling to or where the alcohol was going. He knew that many of these men weren't just stocking up on liquor for their own use. They were prepping to get rich themselves, selling illegal booze once the ban hit. Patrick dwelled on the matter until he was interrupted by the sound of whistling. He heard the man coming before he rounded the corner ahead, George Cassidy. At just 27 years of age, he seemed poised to become one of the most popular men in all of Washington, D.C. Patrick had already sold Cassidy more than a few cases of whiskey. The word among the other struggling pub owners was that the young hotshot had some kind of arrangement with thirsty congressmen who were looking to keep a regular supply of liquor going after Prohibition passed. Patrick suddenly became so livid he actually spit in the street. These politicians had no problem depriving working men like him of his livelihood because they knew they could always just buy the stuff illegally from hustlers like Cassidy. If Prohibition passed, when Prohibition passed, honest businessmen like Patrick would be on the outs, while snakes and hucksters made off with all the profits. Patrick was thankful that the Mafia didn't have a strong presence in D.C. He had family in Chicago who had wired him about the way things were going there. Mobsters were making deals with the British and the Canadians to smuggle whiskey into the country, stockpiling for when the ban went into effect. The criminals were gearing up to make a killing. The newsboys' shouts could be heard from blocks away. Patrick sighed. The veto of the Volstead Act was officially dead, and Prohibition was now in place. Come January, he'd have to shutter his doors and find a new way to make a living. He looked at the line of posters that ran along the buildings next to his pub. Temperance lobbyist Wayne Wheeler had overseen a massive propaganda campaign across the city, plastering signs urging the people to support Prohibition. Close the saloons, they said in big red letters. If you believe the traffic in alcohol does more harm than good, then stop it. Patrick shook his head at the naivete of the sentiment. The traffic of alcohol was not going to stop. And now that it was in the hands of gangsters and crooks, it was about to do a lot more harm. Next, we'll discuss the broader context for the passing of the Volstead Act. Now back to the story. Overturning the veto of the Volstead Act was the final legislative step to officially implementing prohibition on January 17, 1920. It was the culmination of a decades-long movement by numerous groups across the United States to ban alcohol. The movement created a social divide between wets, who favored legal consumption, and dries, who favored prohibition. Their loyalties were affected by political, economic, and religious factors. As a social movement, prohibition efforts, especially early on, were led by women who argued that alcohol led men to squander their earnings, lose their jobs, and abuse their families. Over the years, as the movement gained traction, men became involved with their own anti-alcohol organizations like the Anti-Saloon League. The league's leader, lobbyist Wayne Wheeler, was easily the single most influential person in getting prohibition passed. Wheeler rooted his support of the movement in a childhood trauma. As a boy, Wheeler had been stabbed by a drunk, pitchfork-wielding farmhand, and in retaliation, he dedicated his life to eradicating alcohol. Wheeler made Prohibition into one of the issues that could make or break a local election. He traveled the country, mobilizing the Prohibition base in various towns, urging local politicians to support Prohibition in exchange for votes. He quickly rose in power, and soon he was a major player in Washington, D.C., urging for a national prohibition. It was America's entry into World War I that finally pushed the country to the point of pursuing national prohibition legislation. First, German-Americans were largely in favor of legal alcohol consumption. Anti-German propaganda during the war essentially ostracized the German-American community, and their opinions carried far less sway. Moreover, banning the production of alcohol would free up the nation's grain, which in turn could be redirected toward the war effort. This led to the passage of the 18th Amendment, which banned the sale of alcohol just after World War I had ended. The 18th Amendment was ratified in January of 1919 and stipulated that a nationwide prohibition would go into effect the following year. However, the language of the law was vague. Specifically, the 18th Amendment banned the sale of intoxicating liquors, but didn't explicitly define what an intoxicating liquor was. There was a need for clarifying legislation to help enforce prohibition. Enter the Volstead Act. Though it was named for Prohibition Senator Andrew Volstead, it was Wayne Wheeler who drafted most of the bill. This act defined intoxicants as any such beverage that contains one-half of one percent or more of alcohol by volume. This act ensured that beer, wine, and spirits would all be officially banned when Prohibition went into effect. President Woodrow Wilson vetoed the Volstead Act after it passed in both houses of Congress. The House overturned his veto on October 27, 1919, and the Senate did the same the next day. With that, there was nothing stopping prohibition from going into full effect the following January. Of course, banning the sale of alcohol did not stop people from buying, selling, or consuming it. Today, prohibition is seen as a major force in the establishment of organized crime in America. Gang bosses like Al Capone became immensely wealthy, overseeing the import and sale of illegal liquor to thirsty citizens with money to burn. And although prohibition was a national law, the federal government and the Justice Department were forced to rely heavily on state governments to enforce it. Unfortunately, local police and state politicians were much more susceptible to bribes and favors. These mobsters became so wealthy dealing in alcohol that it was all too easy to pay off policemen and lawmakers to look the other way. The underground market for liquor flourished throughout the 1920s. Over 3,000 speakeasies, or illegal bars, operated in Washington, D.C. alone. Men like George Cassidy made a living dealing alcohol to U.S. congressmen, including some who had voted in favor of Prohibition. Nationwide Prohibition was finally repealed in 1933 during the Great Depression. By then, the mob was a firmly established crime organization that operated with huge influence until the 1950s. The United States was pushed into prohibition by people who wanted to make the country a more moral place. But instead, prohibition directly led to a rise of crime, violence, and corruption in several of the country's major cities. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Colin McLaughlin. I'm Vanessa Richardson.